welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Anne Gould-Ruti, who will be joining me for a discussion about what we believe is the missing component of your healthcare team, and that is your health coach. Anne and I met doing a health coaching program together. We're both physical therapists by training, so we have a lot of connections in that sense. She is a neurological physical therapy specialist who is passionate about helping people with Parkinson's disease. In terms of her background, she received her doctorate of physical therapy from the MGH Institute. She's board certified in neurological physical therapy. She's a certified brain injury specialist, certified LSVT big therapist, and certified power, which is PWR, moves therapist and instructor. Both of those last two are very specific to Parkinson's disease. She is a wealth of knowledge. She's helped me through the past year and a half, and I can't wait for you to meet her in this episode. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk with you today about coaching. I think we've both had similar paths to to get to where we are, and I think sharing your story is going to be a great asset for our listeners. Um, Yeah, so do you want me to tell my story? Sure. Okay, so I am a physical therapist. I've been a PT for 15 and almost a half years now. Since I've been a PT, I've always focused on neurologic PT. So focus, you know, working with people with various neurological conditions. My most most of my experience is with stroke, brain injury, uh, multiple sclerosis. And the past six years, I've really specialized in working with people with Parkinson's. So that's kind of my my niche where I spend most of my time. Um, and, but, you know, and I've worked in multiple settings. So I've worked in acute rehab, which is hospital-based rehabilitation. I've worked in home care and outpatient, and I've also done some long-term care. So I've kind of seen the gamut of where, like kind of how patients move through, uh, the medical system, like in the various, you know, areas. And it's given me, you know, an understanding of kind of the pitfalls of all of those different areas. Um, and then with the pandemic, I, you know, was home more because I had to take care of my kids who weren't in school, like many other moms. And so I kind of started looking into other things that I could do and I found, um, coaching. So I've completed my coaching certification course through the Institute for Women's, um, Institute for Women's Health and Integrative Women's Health Institute. 
the Integrative Women's Health Institute. And now I am pursuing doing health coaching for people with Parkinson's and also their caregivers. Yes. And we met through that coaching program. We were both students Mm -hmm. at the same time. um, And we were kind of the outliers because most of the students in that program were really dedicated to women's health and a lot of um, pelvic health concerns as well. Whereas I think Anne and I coming from a different perspective, we, uh, we found each other pretty quickly. And I think it's, um, you know, a way just to help to show people that you can make connections virtually and over Zoom. We've never met in person, but I think I Mm -hmm. private chatted you one day on a group call and was like, I think we should know each other. Um, Yes. And that's, you know, that's how a good relationship and friendship can begin. So I'm very grateful Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. And I, again, I think, you know, we have just coming from a perspective of chronic conditions and long, you know, long-term management, you know, helping people as they'd really go through a journey and something that's not necessarily going to get fixed. Um, you know, it was definitely a different perspective than what a lot of other people were doing. And yeah, it was really helpful to have someone who kind of understood that mindset, um, more than really was looking at, you know, some of the other aspects that people were interested in. Yeah. And I did find the women's health perspective to be very useful, both in, you know, taking care of myself, but also, you know, half the population is female and not a lot of those conditions are taught in school or, you know, I don't think there's even good understanding of a normal progression through a woman's woman's life and the different hormonal phases and what affects menopause has. So I I found that to be helpful in my um, care and coaching of my older female clients. Yeah. And I think something I kind of knew, but hadn't always put together was that the journey in chronic conditions, a lot of the studies on medications and things are all done on men to remove the confounding factors of the hormonal changes that women go through. But that also means you're taking this whole segment of people that we're trying to help and we're not really looking at what's actually going to help them. So, you know, having looked at, having seen it kind of in a different way, just looking at my practice, you know, I was like, you know, women with Parkinson's, they have different symptoms, they have different reactions to things. So, you know, we probably should be looking at them a little bit differently than you know, men with Parkinson's, because right now the the Parkinson's journey is really looked at from a male perspective and all the studies are done on men. And you don't know really if the same medications that work for men are really going to work for women the same way. Yeah, that's especially interesting in Parkinson's because usually the diagnosis occurs later in life when you would think those hormonal factors that researchers might want to stay away from should be resolved? Yeah, I think it's hard. I get from a research perspective, you want to have everyone kind of on a level level playing field and, you know, taking almost gender out of the equation really helps to level it off. But at the same time, that isn't representative of the population that you're going to be treating. Yeah. So, 
you know, without, you need to have both perspectives. And right now there, there really isn't as much as there could be. Yeah, definitely. So backing up a bit, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've liked about the physical therapy perspective for working with your clients with Parkinson's and then a little more about why you think coaching is um, the future of your career and better health care for, for these patients? Yeah. So I, I, mean, I should probably start by saying when I was in school training to be a PT, even when I got out of school, like when I was in school, I did not want to do neuro at all. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was going to be an ortho PT. I was going to work with dancers because that's what I was. Um, but I realized, you know, through working on my internships that I really liked neuro more than ortho. So, um, but at that point I was like, I really want to work with, I don't really want to work with people with chronic conditions. I'd rather work with people who have, you know, had a brain injury or a stroke because it's a little more static, you know, you're not seeing this decline. And I think I had that, you know, definitely for many years. And when I started my outpatient job, they were doing the LSBT big program and the LSBT loud program at the job. And I hadn't heard of that before. So this was probably back in I got that job in 2011. So by, you know, the first couple of years, I was watching them do these programs and seeing the improvements that people were making despite having a degenerative condition, which was kind of um, eye-opening to me because I'd always been taught they just get, you know, things just go downhill and there's not really a lot you can do. So you're just kind of managing things as they go downhill, which isn't really inspirational as a therapist to be to be working on, but here I was seeing people actually get better. So, um, they gave me the opportunity to take the LSVT big course myself in 2014. Um, so I got to start practicing it and kind of seeing how it would work with my own patients. And then in 2016, I actually took a course with, um, Becky Farley, who originally developed the LSVT course, but ended up leaving and doing her own thing. And she looks at um, working with people with Parkinson's more from a holistic perspective and whole body and really looking at a wellness perspective. And I realized that like, that was really what lit me up was instead of, you know, in, in PT, because we're in a medical model, we're a lot of times looking at what's going wrong so we can improvement, improve it. But in this wellness model, we're looking at what's going right and how do we enhance it? And even just that shift in language, even though it, it really is a lot of the same things that you're looking at and doing, it just really changed my perspective and how I talk to people and how I looked at my practice um, and just kind of how I move forward. And I, you know, got involved in the program a little bit. I took another course with them and we started, you know, in the other course, a lot of the the people that um, are instructors just have very wide um, wide networks of people they work with. So looking at nutrition and sleep and you know exercise on a you know a regular basis, not just in the physical therapy perspective, and just seeing how like all of these things could like come together and really affect someone's journey. So make them you know, healthier for longer and able to do the things they want to do for longer was really inspiring to me. So I kind of started dabbling in that. 
But I found that perspective, that kind of wellness perspective and looking at enhancing, you know, the good things was really difficult to integrate into a physical therapy practice because again, in the medical model, in an insurance model, you have to think and document the way that they want you to and looking at the deficits. And I I found it really hard to do both at the same time. So I've been moving more and more towards looking at wellness and promoting wellness um, just because I think that that's, that's what lights me up now. So as much as I, you know, I do love doing PT and I love, you know, working with people. I think that, you know, just looking at that, you know, looking at it a different way and really promoting wellness and lifelong um, management is where my passion is. Yeah. It's so freeing in a way to be able to look at the whole picture and not have to stay in a certain lane or withhold care because of outside constrictions. Yeah. It's just too, like, you know, again, when I'm focused on what am I going to document and like, what, how do I check all the boxes then I'm not addressing all of those other things, the sleep, the nutrition, like all those things that are important to help people move forward, you know, especially with Parkinson's, like timing of medication is really important. So where I'm not going to be prescribing the medication or anything, I think I always could have done a better job of, okay, what times are you taking your medicines? What times are your symptoms, you know, happening? And then how do we make that work better so that you can get through your day better? But that's a really hard conversation to have. And then you, you know, you have that conversation, you give it to the doctor and they say, oh, well, maybe we can change this medicine or change the timing or, you know, make it work. But when you're, again, when you're thinking about, okay, how do I check those boxes? Those are conversations that tend to fall, fall by the wayside. Yeah, they definitely do, especially when time is limited as well, appointment time. Um, Mm -hmm. I know where I've worked, we have 45 minute treatments one-on-one, which is like a luxury (laughs) compared to a lot of um, physical therapy settings, but the time fills up really quickly when you have to do an exercise routine and educate and make plans for home and get all the updates on you know, other appointments or other things that are going on. And Mm -hmm. like you said, those conversations that aren't necessarily billable by our guidelines can very quickly fall away. Yeah. So as I said, you know, I think, and I think the coaching is really just that missing piece because people with Parkinson's certainly, but I could, I probably argue most people with chronic you know, conditions that you just, the medical model is not built in a way that is easy for them. They don't get to have the length of like, they, they want to talk and have conversations about what's going on. But as you said, appointment times, not just for physical therapy, but for medical appointments is really limited. So it's really difficult to make to, for people to get the answers that they want. And then they're asking like the next person down the line, but now that's not the right person to be asking. So like, you know, they'll go to their neurologist appointment and then they'll come to physical therapy and like, oh, well, I had this question for the neurologist. Can you answer it? It's like, I mean, I can give you a general answer, but no, I can't. That's medical. Like, that's not my role in this. And I think 
having at least someone that can help you kind of organize your thoughts and kind of help you direct where the questions need to go. How do you get them answered would be, is really just important for people. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also I think medicine and healthcare has gotten better about patient education over the years. They're now, I see a lot of discharge handouts, even from a Mm -hmm. primary care visit, definitely from the hospital. But there's also this whole piece of integrating that education to make meaning out of it and make it it useful because just knowing better doesn't always mean we do better or knowing does this actually apply for me or is this just a general education point? And that's one of the values I see with coaching of like, okay, I've just been usually overwhelmed by a lot of education, whether it's a new diagnosis or a flare up of a condition or whatever the case may be, but how can I do something about it? And that that's yeah, what and excites I, me. Yeah. I also think that coaching lends itself better to really meeting people, meeting people where they are. And kind of what I mean by that is you're right. Like there are so many pieces of paper that go home with people, but one, there's so many pieces of paper that go home. I feel like sometimes it's just too much and people read none of it because there's just so much, but two, you're assuming that everyone will learn by reading a piece of paper. And that's not how everyone reads. Like some people read better, need to be told things. Other people need to like physically do them. So I think, you know, coaching lends itself in a way where you have the time to figure out how is how is it best for this person to learn? What's a, what do I need to give them or how can I support them in, in getting the information they need and actually being able to use it? So what have you seen as being differences in outcomes when you come from a coaching perspective versus from a traditional physical therapy perspective? I think, I think first and foremost, the mindset of the person I'm working with is different. Again, when you're using language, talking about the things that are not working for someone, the things that are their challenges, you're constantly reminding them of those challenges. You're constantly, you know, bringing them up and and you're reinforcing those challenges where when you're looking from a wellness perspective and what's going right and how do we enhance that, it's just a more positive outlook. Um, So I find that even just someone's belief in their ability to get better is, is really important to how, how their outcomes will be. And just that, you know, shift in language and that shift in perspective is really powerful in helping people to, to have better outcomes. Cause I think a lot of times, again, when you're in that medical model, you're, you know, there are people who just believe that, you know, as I said, you keep re- reinforcing these negative things that they're struggling with. And then it certainly, you know, it becomes a, this is a problem. It's always going to be a problem. And then it is always a problem because that's what they've told themselves and that's what they believe. So, you know, I think that shift in perspective in coaching is really important. And you can't, you definitely can do that in physical therapy as well. If you have the right therapist, who's going to, 
use that language. But I also find that if you're not getting your whole team using that language, it can be difficult to to make an impact because again, some people are just coming in from a very scared place. They don't know what the future is going to look like. So when they hear this reinforced from multiple people, it can be really hard if one person is trying to say, but you can get better, you can manage this, you can do these things, because that's not the message they're getting from the rest of their team. So um, I think I think that's kind of one of the biggest, um, the biggest differences in kind of the thought process and, and the advantages of, of having that coaching perspective. Yeah, I think the strengths-based approach is something that's slowly gaining traction in different areas of society. I know, for example, our um, the hospital where I work has a talent department that talks about strength-based employee engagement a lot. And they mm-hmm. tell us if you only ever focus on your weaknesses, then you'll just have a bunch of strong weaknesses. Why not focus on your strengths and use that to leverage um, other areas that are harder for you? And I think that mentality persists into coaching in a really nice way where, you know, for example, I've worked with someone who um, was having a hard time with some hip pain that happened you know, as a result of some medication she was taking and what she was really excited to do was walk because it made her feel better. And we were able to integrate that walking first and then she got a success from it. And then we could move on to look at some other things. But if I had just started out telling her that she needed to go on an anti-inflammatory diet, which I did think, you know, was going to help her. It wouldn't have worked because that wasn't what she wanted to do. That wasn't what her current strength was. And she did eventually transition to that, but it was because she played to her strengths first Mm -hmm. to get a little bit of relief. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing about coaching is it's not just about what the coach, the coach is different from the therapist because the therapist tells you what to do and they give you exercises and they kind of, they'll give you kind of a prescription of exercises and things to get you better. You know, whereas from a coaching perspective, you're letting the person lead. You're saying, okay, what changes do you know that you need to make to get better? And as you said, you're playing to the strengths. You take the things that are important to them and building that up. And then once they've built one strength up, then you say, okay, what's the next thing that's going to make you better and help you get to where you want to be. So they'll, as you said, they kind of get there and they figure out all of those things. And along the way, you know, the coach can kind of sprinkle in some of that education, like, Hey, at some point we may want to talk about your diet because there are things that could make it easier for you. And, you know, things like that but you're never pushing and saying, you know, you really need to change your diet to get better. Like it's, again, it's a language and a, you know, a perspective shift. So again, where you have the medical model where the therapist, the nurse, the doctor, whoever 
is kind of the authority and is telling you what to do and is prescribing from that coaching model, you're working together and you're really making sure that what you want to make it fit in their life and make it important to them. Yeah. And I think it gets that, um, that compliance issue that's talked about in the medical model, which has always been like a trigger word for me. Um, so non-compliance being when the patient doesn't follow through with the healthcare provider's directions or recommendations, whereas coaching in the long term ends up increasing compliance as shown in the research, but it's because it's delivered in a way where the patient buys in and chooses what they want to work on first and starts to understand the reasoning they behind anything. It. Yeah. Yeah. They, they value it because it, you know, if I don't value something, then I'm not going to do it or I'm not going to sustain it. I might do it short term but I'm not going to sustain it. And I think that was always a frustration from a, from a PT standpoint as well as, you know, I'm giving people great exercise programs and I know they're not doing them at home, you know, and, and I know the barriers, you know, they need a caregiver to help them. The caregiver is stressed out and doesn't have time. They need the equipment that they don't have. They need space that they don't have. So again, like looking you know, from a coaching model, you're saying, okay, what are those limitations? Let's start with the barriers what can we work around? What do we need? Do we need to work with? And then how do we make this work for you? If that's, again, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And Um, I think as the coach, I still get surprised about what the barriers or hangups are because I could, you know, come up with a bunch of potential ones and take that exercise example. It may be the person only wants to exercise when there's a social component to it, or it's a time of day issue for them. You know, it's like we can, Mm -hmm. I think as a PT, I would try to anticipate them and address the barriers, but not be as good at asking people what those barriers actually were in a way that they felt safe enough to tell me what they were too. Yeah, I think from a PT's perspective, I'll ask about the barriers, but then I'll make suggestions whether they work for that person or not. And I think, again, from a coaching perspective, it's like, okay, let's figure out the barriers. What do you think you can work through? Like, well, I just don't feel like it. Okay. You know, can we come up with, you know, something do less or what could we start with? What would be reasonable to you? Because I, I can't remember who talked about it, but they, um, a coach, I want to say, you know who it was? Um, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, talks about a man who wanted to lose weight and he started, he hated exercise, but what he started with was just going to the gym for five minutes a day, four days a week. He'd literally go, walk in, set a timer, five minutes later, he would be out. And it was, he didn't like exercise, but you know, starting at that five minutes was very reasonable for him. He didn't feel like he was being pushed, but he also knew that he would then be able to build on that. So then he was able to build on that and add time and add exercise. And eventually 
he did lose the weight because he was consistent. And I think that is a coaching mental perspective. So you'd go to the doctor, the doctor says, you need to go to the gym and lose weight. You need to walk 30 minutes, five days a week, you know, whatever. Well, that's great. But this person knew he wasn't going to do that. So he figured out how do I get myself into the mindset and into the routine to then do that. And I think, again, that's, that's where the coaching is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's going to look different for everybody too, but just helping people right. to find, you know, what is something they can stomach <laughs> to start and stick with. Cause I know, I mean, for myself, I've started plenty of grandiose plans for <laughs> improving my health and then they fall off, but the super basic ones that don't feel like much effort, you know, eventually stick a little bit more. And as I become more healthy and resilient, then I can add on more to it because I have more bandwidth for it. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it all can kind of lead to a bigger change in the end. Okay. We'll leave it there for today. Anna and I had so much to talk about together that I'm splitting this into two episodes. So you'll get to hear the end of our conversation next week. To give you a little bit of a teaser, we do talk about visioning next week. And if you would like a preview of what visioning is, head over to carolinemorris.com slash vision to download your free copy of a visioning exercise. See you next week. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.